It's episode 60 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Steve Rowe. Hi, Stuart. Hello, Hi, Steve. Hello, listeners. Hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Very well. Oh, you, were you addressing the listeners then? Yep. yep. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, I'd like to keep the audience in mind, so thanks for listening. Hopefully I'll be interesting, informative, and helpful. <laughs> I don't know, that's it. <laughs> Entertaining. And maybe maybe a little bit inspirational. Um, okay, I'll, tr- I'll give that a try as well. You're inspirational. I didn't realise it's episode 60 already. Well done for doing so many. Thank you very much. Um, I've decided that I'm not going to be the best improv podcast. I'm just going to be the one that carries on <laughs> the longest until everyone else gives up. It's actually quite a good... I don't know, you say that, but on a serious note, that is a creative strategy. I think Seth Godin or whatever wrote about that recently. He said, like, if you're doing something, the exact moment when it becomes either boring or, like, hard work, he said, if you keep going, there's loads of other people that at that point stop. And if you keep going, then um, eventually you do become successful, not because just because you did all the stuff that no one else wanted to do. But then I was like, well, that just means I'm going to do loads of shitty things <laughs> and then I've I've kept going through loads of stuff and I found that other people will happily quite happily do loads of shitty stuff <laughs> as well um, so yeah no I think this is the best podcast oh thank you very much yeah it's the only one that has me on it so. <laughs> I haven't been invited for improv for humans yet so I don't know what fuck Matt Bess is up to but I wouldn't go anyway straight I wouldn't be I wouldn't I wouldn't um, you know I'm loyal Loyal to your one. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. The old, um, you know, whether you should persevere if something has stopped being interesting or fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if I stopped enjoying making this podcast, I yeah. probably would stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it would be awful I love if you it. just did this have some sort of sense of duty or something like that. Yeah. It's nice you've got that much self-awareness. <laughs> I don't know. I think everyone does stuff like, I don't know, you just get in a habit, don't you? I think it's important. Like, I, th- I don't know. I think um, this happened the last time I was on. <laughs> you literally don't ask a question and I'm just off on one. You're just so easy to talk to. But um, I think it's like, it's, I think it's the difference between doing something on an amateur level and doing something professional level. So like, you know, amateur, you can you can dip in and out of it, mm. but professional, you're like, well, I, I have to do this now. Like, I, I have to do hoopla, I have to do improv. Like, I just I'm any other than backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> Not qualified in anything. I did engineering, but it was like coming up to twenty years ago that I started at uni. So I know fuck all about engineering. <laughs> I'm not going to go off and design a plane. Um, so like, but actually, that's quite interesting. It's quite a nice security net. So sometimes, so it's like it becomes your job to like make it interesting and find it interesting because like if if i've taught so much so many beginners courses but i always find them interesting because that's my job to like be like what i say to all our teachers i say don't second guess like what's the syllabus and like you know what do i want like just connect to your own inside of your mind and your love and be like what do you what do you enjoy right now what would make what makes you want to get on a train and go and teach improv or what makes you want to do a show and you have to be honest about yourself with that. So rather than pursuing like a trend or a fashion, um, just be like, you know, what actually makes you chuckle and yeah. like do that stuff. Yeah. So that's the stuff. 
because if we're teaching, which obviously that's what like a huge thing that does, that's what people really connect to. So, for instance, um, Chris, who you'll know from this podcast, Chris Mead, um, like this summer, I had some courses lined up for him, and usually I, I would be like inventing courses for him to do, or thinking like, what do people need right now, or what's what's the demands? And actually, we just did the opposite, and I was like, Chris, what do you want to teach? Like, don't worry about how like we'll make that happen but like what do you actually want to teach and he just came up with all this stuff that was like really interesting that no one else is doing yeah yeah and then that course like was like fully booked in like a week or something because you like you connected to what the, the joy of it all so i mean hopefully we're gonna i think that's my job now is to just like always do that so kind of like t- i think 10 years from now we'll be doing things that are different from now yeah um but yeah yeah, so tell me about the uh, Hoopla Summer Workshop Series. What's that all about? Yeah, so what that's all about is, so um, we're just experimenting with different things in the summer. So we, because uh, usually we do, we have our regular drop-ins and regular courses, but summer's that kind of like, it's kind of an odd gap where um, we found that it wasn't really worth doing lots of courses because people go on summer holidays or go to Edinburgh Festival. Um, but then also we did have a couple of weeks, like July and bit of June, a bit of July, where we thought, let's try some stuff. So I thought I'd use it, I'll do it a bit before Christmas like this as well, just to put on stuff that we haven't done before, Yeah. to see if people are interested in it, but also just to stretch people in different directions, and also for our teachers to keep it like new and exciting for them. So we've got loads of different things, so, we, and so it all just came from chatting to our teachers, we've got Katie teaching how to rocket auditions, um, coming up Thursday 22nd of June. Liz doing human circuits, which is all about um, connecting to like the physical connection, the emotional connection between people. Um, Casey doing how to rock improv jams. Uh, Casey... I, I would like to know yeah? how to rock at. Imp- I mean, I can very much sign up for the course. Yeah. How 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 does one rock? I mean, I could go to the course and find out Katie's. I think I'm going to go because I don't know myself. Like, <laughs> I think the thing with improv jams. I think it's like. I think I might even rename it How to Make Everyone Rock at Improv Jam is what it should be called because I think they're a funny little bit of the improv scene so hopefully we used to run lots of them but now I do less because I found that I did have to <laughs> we were in a park by the way and like <laughs> loads of kids have turned up um, in case sp- you can hear this in the background and there's a sprinkler so that's hence joy and the sun's come out yeah. it's a beautiful day it's summer podcasting time <laughs> Um, so how to rocking at improv jam so yeah I think so we Kate and I were chatting that actually um, improv jam jams I think were quite a tricky bit of the improv scene I think they're terrifying yeah and it's taken me a long time to not hate them to like, not to not hate them I used to really really hate them and then <laughs> just really hated them and this is performing in them yeah. and then I got to the stage where now I'm just about oh it's alright it's yeah. painful but it's alright yeah I think that's my relationship with them as well it always felt like something we should do hmm. So we used to do them, and when I first put them on, they'd always be like really busy, and then over the weeks or months, they'd get gradually less so. So I was like, oh, there's clearly something wrong with either how we're running a jam or how a jam works in general. And I think it's kind of odd because like the best way to perform improv is to be with a group that you know and trust, and like you build up together, you practice together, develop a group mind, and then you go on stage and like all the things that you could worry about, you, you don't have to worry about, and then you do a show that you that you've developed. Um, and then but an improv jam is kind of opposite that so you don't know who you're getting up with you don't know what you're going to do you don't warm up together you, you might have been sat there for like 
an hour and then suddenly you're like, oh shit, now I'm on stage all of a sudden yeah. and this is literally the first improv I've done all night. And it's over really quick so you haven't got time to really get a feel for it. And um, so, and also the improv jams tend to attract people who are newer to improv. So I was like, well, it's a bit of a shame because then people get into improv but then their earliest experience of performing it might be not a great experience. And so... So a lot of people would do like one jam and then be like, I'm not really into this. So, um, so Katie was going to have a look into that in a workshop of like how to make doing a jam like more fun for yourself but was, and more fun for everyone else. Mm. And how you can perform with people who you've literally just met on stage, you don't know what they're going to do. Mm. And they might be terrified or nervous and like how to cope with that and roll with it. That sounds really good. Yeah. My, my trick with jams is just be in the first scene. Yeah. Then, even if I'm not in it again, at yeah. least I was in the one scene. Yeah. <laughs> I love. Do you know what? I love dark improv tricks. My dark improv trick for jams is to be a grandfather clock. So like, like be in the first scene, but I'll just be like a prop at the back. Because I'm like, if I'm just being a grandfather clock with the, with the pendulum ticking, I'm like, I'm like, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I've done it. And then it might be that I'm needed for something else, but I don't. But I mean, the worst place is like, yeah, even off stage, I, I might just become, even if I'm like not even on stage, in my mind, I'll be like, oh, I'm being a hole punch right now. But I'm just in the room next door to the stage. <laughs> just so I don't feel completely in fright mode. That's a brilliant, that's a really brilliant idea though. What, because the whole punch? You will, yeah. I'll do an eight-week yes. course on that. Hitler's <laughs> is with me. It starts in September. It's got... But week one is whole, be a whole punch. Week two is a stapler. Week three is a whole... It's like some 301 Hewlett-Packard ink cartridges. Well, I think you've compromised your vision because I wanted to be a whole punch oh. and you've branched out into other stationery. <laughs> it's not showing red on the thing. Um, yeah, it's just sunlight. Oh, sunlight. Yeah, it's all right. But thank you. I appreciate People just took it checking, to ch- checking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. It's not glowing. It's not glowing red. That was the light in the recorder. But mine is. Every time I do a podcast, my woolly glows red. That's <laughs> how I know that it's live. <laughs> what I meant was. The brilliant thing we were talking about um, was the idea of even if you're on the side in a jam, yeah. um, imagining that you are something in that world, even if you're not on stage at that particular point. Yeah. Because that's the hardest thing. The longer it goes before you do anything, the harder it is to then do something. Yeah. Whereas if you've been a, a stapler, yeah. a, the whole punch, whole punch has got a stronger idea, I think. Yeah. And the other thing that really helps is um, Dylan Emery's thing called voice mirroring. All right. I don't know if you've heard that. Where no. it's like it's really helpful. It's just like an active listening exercise, where you um, try and say the same words that's happening on stage in your head. Oh. So whenever you're off stage, you voice mirror. Right. So that, so that, um, yeah, you, you pretend that their lines are your lines, and, and you try and predict. You're constantly trying to predict what the next oh. word's going to be. Yeah. So you can actually sort of subtly say it a bit quietly or mouth along. Yeah. To their words. Wow. And it just mean it's just something to distract the ego and so you're totally caught up in the moment yeah um and listening rather than going into your mind being like oh should i go on stage now yeah 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 that was a surprisingly helpful tip that yeah one. that was two two great tips there. keep that one <laughs> that whole punch <laughs> the correct one is probably voice mirroring 
Yeah, it's really good. I miss Dylan Emery teaching. I really hope. I really wish he can stay busy with showstoppers yeah. and jobs and family. But all, that, pretty... all that success. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Come back to teaching where we need you. <laughs> I know, but he, he was a, he's a good voice in the improv scene. He's really good at like making the, the difference between being mediocre and being really great. Yeah. And I've gone back to being not being. <laughs> I've just gone back to mediocre, and I need Dylan Emery just fucking badgering me in a workshop. Because <laughs> like, but he's just he's one of those teachers who's spot on. So like, you can't. He's not strict as such, but he is spot on. Yeah. And you know, you just have to look at like what he and they make. To yeah. know that, like, they know what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I love watching Grand Theft Impro and Showstoppers. So, yeah, I do miss going. I used to go to workshops with him once a week at Crunchy Frog Collective. Yeah. But I do, I do miss that. So, at Hoopla, in fact, funny enough, at Hoopla, we are trying to. I'm trying. There's certain people who've gone off into performing more. Yeah. But I'm trying to give them a place at Hoopla to just do like a masterclass every now and again. Oh yeah. That'd just because be I feel like it's a shame if like their voices aren't heard on the improv scene yeah yeah especially well, if they're doing you know successful performance things they've yeah. got even more stuff they can share yeah, yeah exactly i feel like the people who are performing in the west end they should be the that's, ones that's teaching who, us that's what yeah that's who yeah yeah, yeah yeah so especially for people after the once they're past the beginners level of improv um you know once they perform i think the best place for people to learn from are people who are performing a yeah. lot it just makes sense really Performing improv or performing theatre or oh, I think just performing the thing they're t- they're teaching about. Yeah. yeah. So whenever we're getting teachers, we always try and make sure we're getting people who actually perform it to a high level. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try and get more of those in. So asking, I'm asking Dylan, but I haven't got any details for that yet. So let's petition him. <laughs> through the power of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that will be in no way uh, unnecessary pressure. Um, and then Katie's also doing something on stage fright. Yep. Should we be conquering stage fright, though? That's my question. Maybe Katie will be answering this. Uh, I don't know. You don't have to. <laughs> I'm sure there'll <laughs> be some... to do anything, really. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some people who want to conquer it and some that don't. But the advice that you gave me yeah. when I did the Hoopla performance course, yeah. which I found very uh, helpful, was the rather than trying to calm down, yeah. it's trying to transfer the fear into excitement because fear and excitement are much similar oh yeah um, in your uh, nervous system than it is being calm so i've always found that helpful with stage fright yeah you can like relabel nerves as excitement yeah and just tell yourself like i'm not nervous about this i'm excited about it yeah and like nerves sometimes i think nerves definitely helpful like it can get you um so it's quite a big topic, isn't it? I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, nerves are helpful because they tell you you're getting ready for something. Uh, you're coming to life. Like, you're not sleepy when you're nervous. Yes. So, no, I think that's part of it, really. So I don't think... Yeah, I think we're just aligned there on our point of view. Yeah, so I should be talking about how to you know, channel the nerves into good. Um, like, people, some people, you know, how to get on stage, how to... Um, I think beyond that, though, I think it's like... If you are just stuck in stage fright, you don't necessarily want scene after scene to just be someone who's like wildly excited. So uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. it's helpful to like to be able to then access different emotions. I think also I don't I actually don't know if she'll be able to go into the scope of this thing for one one night workshop, but um, I think stage fright when you start off it's quite obvious. It's like there's a stage. 
shit, I can do that right now. Oh, God, I'm scared. Oh, I've done it anyway. <laughs> but stage fright, as we go on, like, rears its head in, in more mysterious ways. It becomes a bit of a ninja. Yeah. Where, before you know it, stage fright, you're not aware of the fear because it's more subconscious. And before you know it, you're like, oh, I haven't really done a show I'm proud of for five years. Like, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I've done loads of other stuff, which so I'm, I'm just talking from my own point of view. Which you're like, I've distracted myself with lots of things. Right. It's like, there's a bigger thing yeah. that I knew I wanted to do years ago, but I haven't done yet. So you do all these other stuff. Um, and, and then I think, I mean, stage fright as well. Like, people, amount of people who you know, signed up for an improv course, and then, and then just, just before it starts on the day, they're like, oh, you know, my work diary is really busy, I'm going to have to cancel. And we're like, yeah, sure, that's no problem. Here's a refund. But you're like, I don't really think you're that busy. <laughs> I think you're, I think we've subconsciously created this like work and like a series of excuses to not do a thing that's scary. Um, so that's real stage fright is one that you're not even aware of. Yes. Oh, when uh, Maddie was on this episode, uh, on this podcast, we were talking about how it would be really good if Hoopla, you don't have to do this, could... I don't have to do what? <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Okay. But measure um, the time at which yeah. someone had signed up for an improv course, Yeah. time of day, mm. and whether there were a lot of spelling mistakes or anything in it, which indicated perhaps they'd had a couple of drinks or something. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> because a lot of people that I've spoken to have signed up yeah. um, when they've had a few drinks or they've seen the show come back. Mm. Um, they, they tend to be the people that they do then turn up for the class. But I was just wondering, yeah. you know, if you could measure yeah. who signs up during the day and who signs up during the night after they've had a drink. Yeah, it's more. they do get more people sign up in the evening, yeah. And then uh, I do know one guy, this guy Will, um, I emailed him this reminder of like, oh, thanks for booking this course. It starts next week. And he wrote back being like, I'm really sorry. What is this? I think you're like the wrong email address. So we double checked. And then I did find out the date he booked. And he was like, oh, yeah. He was like wildly drunk. He had no memory of booking this whatsoever. And then he worked out that like one of his friends might have been talking about it in the pub. So I was like, do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. So he did it. <laughs> he really enjoyed. He did really enjoy it, but he just had no concept of like where this weird booking came from. <laughs> it's a good job you send out the reminders. Yeah, yeah. And I think as we talked about last time you were on the uh, podcast, you know, just you get points for turning up, and um, yeah. you know, credit for just turning up to the first class because it's a scary thing. Yeah, um, you so. get you do you get points for turning up, and do you know what? Those points for turning up they never stop. So as you go into it longer, it's just different things that you can turn up to. So. Like, uh, I'm going to use Maria's Peters as a classic example. So when I first met her, she was turning up to her first improv workshop, which she thought was a show. But we were like, no, sorry, it's not a show. That's next week. This is a workshop. And she was like, oh, sorry, I'll do it anyway, in classic Maria style. <laughs> so she turned up for that. Um, but then, like, years later, now she's taking her first solo Edinburgh show to yes. Edinburgh. So that's, like, a new thing to turn up to. So that's, like, a bigger thing. Yes. So they're probably like equivalent levels of scariness in many ways. Yeah. But like, there's loads, I think, and you know, with Ostentatious, for instance, like they would have been terrified of their first acting or improv work. Well, maybe not. But <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know them that well. But like, but then now, you know, if they're doing like... Um, they're on Radio 4. Radio 4. Yeah. I'm, sure there's, I'm sure that fear kicks in all over again. Yes. And, um, so stage fright never really, never really goes. You just end up doing different stuff. Yeah, but as you, yeah, because as you, it's, it's like you level up 
um, but then the next thing that you're tackling is that bit more scary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just the better or more experience you get, the more scary things you do. But it's it's not like you're going on Radio Four from never having gone to a class or something yeah. like that. What are we scared of? I wonder. What's the what's the what's the fear? It's not like you're not going to get injured, are we? Like getting off. I I remember doing a C three something bring a team jam. And I was worried that I would be so terrible that nobody on the improv scene would want to talk to they me. They wouldn't talk to you again. Because I'd just been really, really bad. No, you just make them feel good. They'd want to talk to you more. And it's like, nobody's that interested in your performance, Stuart. Either way, no one cares that much. Yeah, um, I know. agree. It's shame, isn't it? So I think what people, are, what the fear is, like, shame. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't feel shame in front of a group of people. Which makes me think, if I did like a whole bunch of <laughs> things to deliberately bring shame to myself, then like maybe that fear would be conquered. Like I've often, I don't really want to be seen naked in public and I don't like diving. I like high diving, you know, like I'm not regular at diving because when I was a kid, my dad told me a story about someone from his tennis club who uh, died off a boat and like really badly injured himself. Right. And this is like when I was at an impressionable age. Yeah. So because of that, I've never like, I like jumping into water. I've never really dived headlong into the water. And when I do it, I'm very ginger about it. And also, I don't really want to see, be seen naked in public. I don't like the idea of that either. I'm not like one of these people that gets drunk and... and that. <laughs> I was going to say, whops it out. It's more like, you no. Know, <laughs> a bit of an exaggeration. But, so I thought, like, well, maybe if... If I sign up for a high diving class and at the end I invent all my... Like all my friends and family and at the end I climb up the high diving board naked and then do like a massive belly flop into the water and bring great shame on myself and then, but then come out and wave it's like because that's pretty much how I would imagine would be the most shameful thing to do in my life right now but if I did that would suddenly everything else that I want to do become easy or would I just be like oh shit why did I do that and then be so ashamed I don't do anything um, yeah, I suppose. I suppose that you know, doing a bad jam at uh, Duck Duck Goose would seem like nothing if you'd done your naked belly flop in front of all your friends and family. Yeah, I'm not sure. I understand your your logic thought <laughs> thought processes. Yeah, I would just rather do terrible improv and <laughs> you know just just get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, Maria Peters talks a lot in her Edinburgh show about cringe, like the moment, cringe-worthy moments. Yes. Um, but I could relate to that. Yes. Because uh, every cringe moment I've had, I've remembered like a lot. You sort of remember them more than... I think good performers, it's like really good ones. What I've noticed about them is they have a very good attitude to like accelerating their rate of failure. So watching like... Um, sorry to name drop people here, but... I. Like, uh, watching Louisa Omerland do her first her debut Edinburgh solo show, the What Would Beyonce Do, that really took off and made her as a person. I learnt so much from watching her in the build-up to that because she did way more Edinburgh previews than anyone I've ever known. It's like, I don't know, it must have been hundreds, and like she's just doing every possible gig she could do. Yeah. Um, it, no matter how short or long, or to what audience, she's always doing it. And then she was just like, relentlessly asking for feedback and like asking what 
like she wasn't ashamed to like talk about the bits that weren't working. Yeah. And I remember like, her like having a cry in a pub because like she it suddenly twigged her like how much emotional depth she was going to have to go to in her show with the audience yeah. to make it what it was. And um, so by the time she turned up to Edinburgh, like she'd done all the embarrassing stuff. So she turned up with something she was proud of and like she knew worked and like yes. could throw herself into it. But if she'd sort of like taken the first negative not back, then it wouldn't it wouldn't exist really. Yeah, and I've seen that with all the cool great performers. It's just this ability to um, treat failure and embarrassment as like a learning process. Just yes. be like, I'm going to have to do this like a hundred times to make something work. Yes, rather than give up. Yeah, and it's part of it. It's um, it's to do with seeing that if something in the show doesn't work that's fine it's something in the, it's something localized in the show it's not a general thing where i'm a terrible performer or something like that and everything i do is terrible it's this thing doesn't work yes or this thing didn't work on that night yeah and you know we can change that thing it's not that you're a terrible person yeah exactly i think sometimes when it's more for stand-ups i suppose but sometimes people like if they're not funny they take it's like i'm it's, they take it, it's like oh i'm not funny but actually it's no just you weren't funny right then yeah. in that bit like there's a whole you're quite a big person there's a lot to your life yes so just because something's not going well it doesn't mean like that's all of you it's yeah. just that little bit yeah cool and Katie's also teaching scene painting and object work which I think is very important everyone should go along to that that's good yeah that's her favourite 20th of July <laughs> so she's doing that one because it's her favourite one brilliant and um, I like that uh, as an improviser it's something I, <laughs> I always like going to every show being like I'm going to do more object work than environment because whenever I do that it all takes care everything else takes care of itself I don't have to think too much yes but then every show I completely forget <laughs> and then I'm like what an idiot I wish I just started with that well it's it's like the advice that you gave me about when you're doing a show just choose one thing to work on yeah just say I'm mean, this show I'm going to do object work or this work I'm this show I'm going to do accents or something like that yeah and just do that because if you're trying to remember everything you've ever been there you'll just be Paralyzed. Yeah, you lose a bit of spontaneity. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Um, and then later on in July, she's doing creating scripts from improv, like how to devise shows using improv. That seems really hard. And that's something that you've been doing with Hoopla yeah. in your videos. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So we've been doing that. That's so we've been like experimenting with different ways of doing it, really. I think if you want to know who does that, they've just got different ways of doing it. So she's going to teach her way because she's did a lot of in Edinburgh with who you're going to call like the Ghostbusters um, like uh, show um, and she's done loads of stuff using improv to generate scripts but at, when I speak to people like you just find every group's just found their own little way I think it's just little quirks that help so uh, we're just about to restart our team writing sessions and making films and what we do is what we're about to do is um, first thing we do when everyone gets there is you go around and you say a minute each of just anything that comes to you, anything that's on your mind. But you have to be honest, that's a big rule. The rule of the writing room we have is like, be honest, you have to say every thought you're having, no matter how, like, if it's your darker side. Uh, the other rule is like, everything's funny. So, as in, you can make jokes about anything, but you can decide to edit it out later, yeah. like whether you put that out there or not. So you don't have to worry about, like, being judged. So we do a minute of just say whatever's come to you. And everyone else, while that's going on, everyone's writing down any like sketch ideas they get from that. So it's a bit like a long form monologue, really. 
Uh, then a minute based around um, might be stuff you see in the news or a particular theme. Just open up stuff at the beginning. And by the time you've done that, you've got like, everyone's probably got like 10 sketch ideas, like rough things. And then we just like improvise around them. Um, what we found is like, if you, if you improvise, it might be like you've got a sketch idea of this sort of roughly form. You do like one improv around that. But then you do it again, and then you chat again. It might be like the sixth iteration. It might be completely far removed from the original point that inspired it. Yeah. But then that's when you've got something. And from chatting, like ideas swap and stuff. Also, we've got a system in place to like accelerate rate the failure. So like if so, say you've got a line, you're like, we need something funny here. Uh, we'll just be like, we're going to say, we're just going to go around the table and we're going to say, um, it's come up with 50 ways to say that line. Um, everyone has to say one in order. And after each one, we shout, like that one, two to three to 50 with complete joy, no matter how good or bad it is. Oh, wow. And so you'll get like 45 that are just either boring or rubbish, <laughs> but you get five that are like, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just know, you know, because everyone's howling with laughter and like literally people are crying. And that's when you think you got something. And then they do that with sketch ideas as well. It'd be like, uh, we need to do something around uh, such and such, like Jeremy Corbyn doing whatever. And then <laughs> it's the specificity of that idea that I love. Yeah, it could be really vague. It could just be something <laughs> on this news, and then be like, right, rather than think of like one idea right now, uh, the best one, just just say fifty. And again, you might only get like th- three out of fifty that are worth doing. Yeah. But the, the the one that you actually then go on to make might go on to be seen by like hundreds of thousands of people and go down quite well. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I, that's the interesting bit. Is you're still using improv, but you you just. You can also, you use improv to generate stuff, but then you have this other part of yourself, your editor, which comes in later, and yes. the editor picks out like what do you want to keep, and what can you feasibly make on this limited budget you've got and everything. Yeah. So. So who who writes it? Who writes it down? From, so you've gone you've gone around fifty times. You've got a great line. Yeah. What's the next stage from that? Um, yeah. So the whole time we're doing that, we're recording it the audio, um, and then also making notes. Um, so the next step at the moment is being me at home then writing it it's like a separate thing so listening right. back to the audio yeah. you can just tell really like if people are like laughing a lot at a particular moment you're like oh that's probably worth keeping and I found a lot of it with the internet stuff like a lot of it's just cutting it's quite painful because you're like you might have like five minutes of stuff but no one's going to watch well they might do we haven't quite got there yet I'd, long term I'd like to work out like can you actually put something on a Facebook video or YouTube that lasts longer than a minute and it's like captivating, interesting the whole way through. I mean, the nice thing about YouTube is that you can actually tell how long people watch your video for. Mm-hmm. So that would be one way of finding out yeah. if they do watch it for five minutes. Yeah. But at the moment, we're just starting small, really. So I like edit it down so it's about a minute of stuff. So we're going to be doing a bunch. And then, then once you've got the script, you'll go out and film it. Yeah. So the process at the moment is we'll go <laughs> people involved with people laughing this bit. So the process at the moment is the writing group's really great. We've got like hundreds of ideas that I love. Um, then there's bottleneck one, which <laughs> is the go out and film it. Because obviously, then you're like, you just have to battle through it. The filming days are great. I love them so much. But then there's that, there's that you're just like, if you write in a church, you're like, oh, now I've got to find a church to film it. <laughs> Or, and sometimes you have to pay venues, so they can be quite expensive, even, yes. if, even if you're doing it on an amateur level. Because yeah. you can't ask someone to like open their shop after midnight for like, and you know, 
you burn all the electricity for nothing. So you'd have to give people a bit of money to cover costs. And like costumes, if you ever write like a pirate walks in, it's easy to write. When you're faced with a harsh reality, which is like, fuck, there's another 50 quid down just to buy one pirate costume, just for this pirate to come in and go, ah, and then leave. You're like, that wasn't really worth it. It's like 50 quid joke. It wasn't even a joke. Well, it seems to be making Stuart laugh. So, it's... so, um, so that's bottleneck one. And then bottleneck two is um, the editing. I'm being a bottleneck at the moment. Right. Just because editing takes ages. Yeah. But I'm going to do it on the train. Anyway, this isn't interesting. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll just I go off in the admin. No, but... no, honestly, I think the admin isn't... Because, you know, knowing the work that goes on behind, you know, an improv night or yeah. making a film um, it's actually a lot more that goes on than people realise and I think people are interested in what I'm interested in yeah so for every sketch we've actually finished and got out there and and has gone down well there must be like hun- like hundreds that are just at the moment Shetland's various hard drives <laughs> yeah that haven't been made yet and might never get made but obviously the perfect world I'd, lo- I'd love to be just given loads of money to just have this be our thing because I know exactly what I would do yeah and that would be good what I'd would love... you do hmm? what would you do well I'd just have someone have someone else <laughs> for a start have someone else editing have an editor like a, a proper editor I'd have like I'd probably have a like you know have the whole camera crew sound guy director just professional basically yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'd like to be running the writer's room that's what I'd like to that's what I'm most interested in yeah um, so I, I, I think I'd quite like to have like um people have their own Channel 4 show where we're making I'm not going to say too much I'm going to give it away I'm going to it's going to be someone else to do it now <laughs> I can't tell you the whole details okay. but I would like I would like to do that um, but mainly in a nutshell I would like to have I'd, I'd like to be running like a proper writer's room using improv to like write material that gets filmed that week and released that week yeah because I feel like that's where improv's value is there's very few things that yeah. can it can produce funny stuff like immediately, so yes. um, I want to get that out there a bit more. But at the moment, there's challenges, but we're getting there. We will, we will get there. So you have to rebrand challenges, problems as challenges. And pro- re- rebrand problems as opportunities. <laughs> as opportunities, bloody hell, that's a whole other step. <laughs> I've still, got, I'm still at the challenge phase. I'd have thought the inspirational lobster would have uh, motivational motivational lobster. Oh yeah, Inspira- inspirational lobsters is colleague his colleague. His <laughs> less successful colleague. <laughs> less successful. Just goes around inspiring people, but no one really gets motivated to do anything. Whereas the motivated lobster. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we'll come back to the motivated lobster. Um, so is has has producing the videos translated into more people signing up for courses? <laughs> no. Okay. It doesn't bear any relevance at all. Oh, right. No, it's absolutely no one has come as a result of... Oh, right. Like, so we had like, we had one video that, I mean, we had one video that we got surprised about. We got, got viewed like a couple hundred thousand times and suddenly had loads more people join our Facebook page. But then rapidly leave when, <laughs> when all we posted about afterwards was like improv tips and like obscure references to word at a time stories. Because I think at first they were like, well, this is a cool new topical comedy right. thing. And then they're like, oh, what the hell is this? And they leave. And some of them are there. So I'm going to, I'm going to, but I do want to put out more content. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, no, we're just doing it. I'm just doing it for fun. Yeah. Keep it interesting. Yeah. But no, no, no one came. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> no, but it wasn't the point of them, no. <laughs> no, okay. I think sometimes you just have to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You have to, like, reserve a part of your life. Just, well, you don't have to. I have to. I have to. I have to reserve a part of my life to just do, do something for no reason just and not really think about it too much. Yeah. So that's where Hoopla came from in the first place. <laughs> so like all the all the best things have have, have come for me. Have come from when I'm because I do plan a lot and I, I do stay in that mindset a lot. But all the best things in my life have all come from moments where I, I didn't really I just sort of did stuff. Yeah. Because that's I think when you connect to sort of your in, real integrity. Yeah. I mean you're like like you said with this podcast like if it wasn't if it's not being fun then you wouldn't do it. So like. Um, yeah, I think just do things for fun, really. Um, and talking of fun, yeah, uh, Chris Mead is running a uh, sugar rush sherbet shack of high octane improv fun. Yeah, that's great. That's very good memory. Yes, it is very good memory. Yeah, so sixteenth of August. So Chris Mead is flying the Hoopla flag in August. So Hoopla is completely usually completely closed down in August, but Chris is going to be running uh, two beginners courses for the first part, and then he's going to be running a summer course. Um, and he's also running um, three standalone workshops um, just based around what he was particularly excited about in improv. Just say we are doing something in August rather than completely shut. So he's doing Sugar Rust Sherbet Shack of High, high Octane Improv Fun, the 16th of August, which is basically all the most joyous and fun improv games that he can think of, all crammed into one workshop. Is it uh, mainly new choice? <laughs> it's mainly new choice in the alphabet is that your favourites? Uh, new Choices. I really oh. enjoy New Choices. Uh, the Alphabet Game, not so much. So this... Does anybody like the Alphabet, ge- Alphabet Game? Has anybody seen that work on stage ever? I say no. <laughs> okay, put no, I, I can't think that uh, the, all the short form groups that I've seen that I've ever thought, wow, that's what I want. I want to do the Alphabet I'm going to do the Alphabet Game next show to see if I can make it fun. But anyway, uh, then 23rd of August, he's doing Get Into Trouble and Fall In Love which has been incredibly popular. It's always picked up. Um, just because that sounds like people want to do that. I have to admit that is on stage, not off stage. <laughs> so he's talking about um, playing scenes with love, emotion and depth and like scenes where you, you get in trouble and fall in love with each other. And I, then, I, have a, I have a dilemma about that. I've, I've played a couple of scenes where I've had my scene partner attempting to seduce my character. Right. And much like in real life, I'm like, ooh, uh, uh, anyway, perhaps I should go on to class to find out how best to deal with that, both in real life and on stage. Uh, I don't, well, we, we only do stuff on stage, so we can't do the other one. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit tricky. It's, it's a tricky because I don't want to block the other person. Yeah, but I suppose I mean we just go for the emotional honesty. Like I think yeah. I've, I've had that particular moment actually. Like those sort of scenes, we've had. Um, I've written up for the teachers, like our hooker teachers, like a guide to like how to direct those and like our own particular point of view of, of it. Yes. So, so what? So if you've got somebody that is always instigating that sort of scene. Oh, uh, I mean that's no, no, that's slightly different. Like, I mean, if they're always doing, it, then you might be like, oh, I wonder why they're always going for like sexual scenes or like um, that. No, it's more like if it, you know when it pops up, just to help out the people on stage. So because right. it will pop up every now and again. So in that situation, I'd always go for encouraging what I call rolling emotional honesty. So not having a gap between um, what you, what you, the improviser, thinks and feels and what you believe the character would think or feel. Right. So that if you're feeling awkward, 
yes. just saying like, oh, this is making me feel really awkward. And if you don't want to be on stage, just actually channeling that into your scene and saying like, I don't want to be here with you. Um, I feel a bit awkward right now. And but, just so, so you are into it. What, uh, then just admitting that, yeah, I think that depends from company to company. So like, you know, a Meissner technique teacher would would totally get you to channel that complete sexual kind of attraction. And you'd, in their class, which I've been in, you might be like kissing each other. Obviously, like you use a stage kiss rather than like a full one. But then, and you would just admit the fact that you're two like sexual animals on stage together. But uh, in improv, it, it, it seems to be in a hoop though. I think we have to create a bit more of a safe space than that because I think people are not particularly signed up for that because we're not like the completely in-depth acting workshop. No. So my favourite way, I can try to do an impression of it audibly, is to do... Um, is to, if you have to express like sexuality is obviously you can't like kiss on improv and you can't like have simulated sex because that will immediately creates an unsafe space um but i i preferably prefer doing that the commedia version which is commedia dell'arte where the characters they like the idea of sex but they're not quite know, they don't really know what it is oh wow so it's a sort of innocence about it yeah so they might there's a whole and there's a whole bunch of play you can you can do about it where like they go towards each other, um, but then just when it looks like they're about to kiss, they run away and then their breathing increases, <laughs> or they take out like sexual frustrations on like other things, or like um, you can have a lot of play in like taking your mime trousers off and like um, or like doing a monologue to the audience about you're like oh I've heard about it you know and so there's loads of safe ways you can you can do it and I think other improv groups would be just just varies from company to company. You just have to make a decision. Some like ban sex completely. So we would say like, no, it's no simulated sex and there's no, or real sex <laughs> on stage or kissing. That's a definite no, no, but you definitely can play characters that are attracted to each other. Um, and you'll find like, so I said like rolling emotional honesty. So your first emotional impulse might be, oh, I'm also interested in this person. And then before you go towards them, but then, something else kicks in and if you're honest you then will be like oh now I'm embarrassed or like I don't really think this is going to happen do, do you know what I mean yeah, 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 yeah. so like how you feel changes by moment by moment on stage so one thing can lead to another <laughs> <laughs> so that's that one and then Chris is helping out with those sort of scenes um, and his last one of the summer series he's doing Chris is doing on 30th of August popular culture and improv so it's how to use like how to use um, references from films and TV and stuff but without mucking up the scene yeah. so and allowing genres to, to, ins to inspire and influence the scene but without screwing up your scene partner so because they may not know yeah they might not know what you're doing is this something you do in your improv do you invoke no. popular culture no. no well am I when you when you perform oh you... I never used to be no I never used to use it much but me and I'm just performing with Just Edgar at the moment, so it's a lot easier when it's just two of you. Yeah. So what we've started doing is um, building up to the show. Uh, we recommend things to watch. We watch a lot of it, oh, and then it all okay. sort of come out naturally. So we watch a lot of Bottom, um, the old sitcom with Rick <laughs> Mail and Aid Edmondson. Probably important to point out. Yeah, just in case people haven't heard of it. So we watch a lot of watch a lot to Bottom, and then. Um, that bubbled up into our scenes. That was good, and we sort of we do and then we analyze like you know why is it funny? We're like, I watched a lot of Only Fools and Horses as well, 
And we're like, oh, there's kind of weird similarities. Like, they've both got two central characters that kind of revolve around each other. They sort of hate each other, but also kind of like each other. But they can't get away from each other. Like, they have to live where they live. They don't have enough money to live anywhere else. Like, in Bottom and Only Fools and Horses, they have no choice. Like, they have to... Rodney has to work for Del Boy. Yeah. He might not like it, but they have to do this thing. And, like, also, like, limited locations we quite enjoyed. Like, in Bottom, they'll only go to, like, the local pub. They wouldn't go to the West End. They'd yeah. go to, like, a local shitty pub. And the same with only Fools and Horses. It's always the Nags Head. Or they'll go to a corner shop. Or they'll go to... Um, Wim- they go to, like, Wimbledon Commons, the furthest they get in Bottom. Yeah. And only Fools and Horses, like, when they do go further away it's a bit it's, it's sort of like oh it doesn't quite feel the same yeah so then when we're doing our stories we're like maybe all our scenes we tell a, we can tell a story but let's like limit the locations to just like one shitty bit of london <laughs> <laughs> which we can relate to and then we, we might go in knowing like oh the characters will tend to be people you'll see in a weatherspoons in morden yeah. which is which was a pub where we knew we grew up um so yeah, you have that influence, and then but then the next week we saw lots of Rick and Morty, which is more like a sci-fi cartoon. Um, but you, and you and then so yeah, we just chat about it, and you're like, oh, I like the status relationship between them. I like facts. Yeah, you just sort of. I just like I like exploring what makes the comedy like funny. Really, I mean that's really interesting use of uh, popular culture. Um, when you're off stage, which I hadn't really thought about, I thought, you know, you go on and then you make some reference to Battlestar Galactica or something like that. Oh, yeah. But actually, if you're finding a common language and common themes and things off stage using public culture, I think that's a really great idea. I yeah. Like that. Yeah. And they're, the, and they're the experts. You can learn a lot about story, for instance. Like, you know, just... Yeah, so I think all this stuff, yeah, it's good to learn about. But um, I've uh, noticed you and Edgar uh, dressing up as convicts on stage. Oh, yeah, that was just two shows, but um, that's changed now. Okay, We're I'm glad because I feel that's the wrong message to the young people. <laughs> yeah, the wrong message to the young people. glamorising crime and saying if you commit crimes, <laughs> yeah. I just feel worried that the message is sending out there. <laughs> yeah, we all glam- it was crimes against improv. The idea was that we'd, um, we'd, we'd just escaped from Wandsworth Prison and we had 40 minutes to, to perform a show before we got re-arrested for Crimes Against Improv. <laughs> I think it helped us <laughs> for the first couple of shows because we felt like we were doing, we felt like we were breaking the rule by doing short form. Right. It's like, so everyone else, loads of people doing, I do also do long form, but loads of people do long form and then never do short form again. Yeah. Whereas me and Edgar were like, no, oh, we miss short form and like, it's weird that people do it like once when they start and then never go back to it. So we, we like want to keep it. And it felt like we were legal to have that thought. No one told us that. It's just all in our heads. <laughs> so then we put on. So then we were like criminals, I think, just to get us into the mindset that we were being rebellious by doing short form. Oh, well, that's Although after a couple of shows, we were like, nah, we don't need that anymore. Right. Okay. So the last one was just us. <laughs> but the next one will be something different. So you spent fifty quid on the yeah uh, yeah. For a couple of shows. <laughs> yeah. We that's... might find out that convicts turn up in your films yeah they were because you've got the costumes already there yeah <laughs> yeah so let's let's talk about short form you've said that you don't think the alphabet game works on stage oh i didn't say that i just said i've never oh, seen it never seen being it. fun right oh okay. but i'm not going to write it off the whole game oh, okay fair I enough i think it's a challenge to make it i reckon it has to be made more fun right okay so yeah. it works but it's not fun well the way it gets played <laughs> is this so 
Um, it gets like shorter form in general sometimes. Ah, oh, trying to think. The alphabet game sometimes gets played where someone. If you don't know it, it's like so you're playing a scene and each line has to start with the next letter of the alphabet. And I think the boring way to play it is it gets to your word, you say a word like grass, put in a comma, pause, and then think up a response. And it's almost like we just stapled on a word for no reason. But I think it's more fun if it's played at like maximum spontaneity where you're like, you're saying it and then your sentence is coming out of you and it's surprising you. And I think that's quite the improv I quite like is when people don't know what they're saying. Yes. And a lot of short form, if it's played too carefully, you kind of feel like, oh, I'm a bit bored of that. That's just my personal Yeah, no one in the audience is going, or very few people are going, well, well played, they did that game perfectly. I mean, I didn't have any fun, but the game was played perfectly to the rules. Yeah. So I think it, I think the word in the alphabet game should surprise you. It should be surprised at like, what came out. It should just be like the first word with that letter you could think of. It comes out and then you're immediately having to put it into your spiel somehow. Yes, yes. And like done in a, in a wilder way. So what are, what are your favourite favorite short form games? Um, well, what have we been enjoying recently? Uh, well, we play different ones every time actually at the moment, which makes it interesting. So I can only think about the last show. So last show, uh, quite enjoyed this one where you meet, there's a couple from the audience and you're trying to guess how they met. Oh, right. Yeah, and if you yeah. get a line right, they honk. No, uh, if you get a line right, they sing a bell. Right, yes, yes. And yes. If, you go, if you get a line wrong, they honk. So if you're like, oh, here we are at this bar, and they're like, honk, you're like, oh, good to see it work. Ting, then you're like, oh, they met through work. Uh, it's quite nice because it's like you, you make them kind of superstars and yes. they always look quite cute to the audience. Yes. And um, it's just really funny when you make a big, bold statement and then they either honk or ting. Oh, I love that. I love, um, I love anything that takes an audience member's story and then plays it on stage because it's a ma- it's a massive thrill for the whole audience, but especially the person whose story's being told. Yeah. Even if they're getting it wrong, it's still yeah. You know, and then almost guaranteed to laugh every time you get a honk or a ting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So I like that one. Is it sound effects as well? That was quite fun. It's the one where someone you're playing a scene on stage and someone provides sound effects off stage. Um, but I like that one. I like it's a bit of clowning around as well, and um, that's fun. I like kind of fun visual games as well so trying to add what we're trying to do is just add like more variety to it all I suppose yeah so just want it to be like colourful um, and so what I do like about short form is it sort of it means you get guaranteed variety so like you can have a game with lots of movement in a game with lots of sounds a game that features like we got, I just got a game invented called Sounds Like Grime <laughs> where the deal is we play two really posh characters and then they're having a chat about something really posh and then when the audience shouts, sounds like grime, they turn it into like a grime rap, reads battle rap. And it's like far too quick. So. Are you maintaining the posh character? No, you drop it. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's almost like there's a, they have a grime dark side to themselves. Because <laughs> I was thinking of Stephen Fry on, on Whose Line Is Anyway when uh, he would just do a very posh, slow rap. Well, if they were doing a rap, they yeah. would just do it in a really sort of posh, slow uh, voice, yeah. whereas you're... No, we no, we Keep go for it, it. and then so that's that one, and then we're gonna and then we're trying to um, we're gonna release lots of new shows in the autumn season. So at the moment, I'm planning um, from September onwards. So we're gonna we're gonna release lots of new groups into the wilds. Cool. And like trying to work out. If, um, I think we're gonna do like open auditions for them. So like try and just get some new stuff in, really. Cool. Because um, the Miller said we can have. 
with more days of the week there. And also we've got earlier time slots and later time slots, so I think we're going to have like a whole bunch of different stuff running, especially Saturdays, I think. We'll have shows running at 7, yeah. 8, 9 and at 10. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just about to invent a whole load of new shows for that, which is quite cool. Brilliant. Um, and you're involved in musical, improvised musical satire, can you tell me about that? Yep, so that's this Saturday, although when this comes out it might be last Saturday. It was great, it was really amazing. <laughs> it. But hopefully it'll be more, so it's James Witt's been organising it from Music Box, and he's getting together a bunch of like different of his favourite musical improvisers. Um, and then we're doing like topical improv musicals. So the audience cut out clippings from newspapers or suggest things. And he tries to get in a bunch of people that are also quite good at impressions, I think. All right. So are you, that are you good at impressions? I'm good at n- none of those things. I just, <laughs> I just know him. No, I like I just sort of like clown around with him. So I think I'll be rapping, but I think there's some other people that are quite good. Have got they've got like a Donald Trump up their sleeve or or a Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn. Um, so we get to have them battle rap each other. Yeah, I was just going to say, is now a good time to be doing a topical, satirical show? Uh, Are things not already <laughs> a satire of themselves? I think that's more of a reason to be satire. I think, I think if you don't completely... I want to completely annihilate and belittle like evil cunts that start wars that no one wants and... and like Through the medium of... And kill... In, and musicals. actually kill, kill people for the sake of increasing share value. So I think, like, I don't know what the fuck... I don't even know why that's a question to you, Chief. I think, like, I think I don't know, understand what TV and radio are up to. I think there's this in, extremely biased press um, that lets people get away from it. And I think we had, like, a freer... They had, Spitting Image was in the bloody 80s, and you look what they were yeah. doing. I just want to make people look so fucking stupid that... They can't do what they want to do. I want to have like so. I want, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just in a show, but like bigger plan. I, I uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I think that's just like. I think when Boris Johnson is on, have I got news for you? Everyone's like, oh, he's just making a satire for himself. How can you satirise him? It's like that's just falling completely into his trap. Of course, he should satirise him. Of course, he should. He should make him look even more small and stupid because he because he is. He can't let people get away with, with stuff. Like, just because, like, oh, he's jolly or what a clown. It's like, no, you have to be worse. And you can't say, yes, we are going to satirise. And, like, that has, that has to be done. And, like, people, you, just, you just have to. Otherwise, you can't just let people get away with it. Yeah. And I think it's a trap to think, oh, everything's foolish enough. It's like, no, that's just the surface. That's just what you see. But spitting image was, like... I don't know, way ahead of its time. If Spitting Image came out now, it would look modern and it would look daring. Yeah. And it was that was that in the 80s. Yeah. And it's like, we're in 2017 and we're all being coy and tiptoeing around thinking we can't slag off, like, the Queen or we can't slag off, like, you know, properly attack people. With, it's just words as yeah. well. <laughs> and actually, this is part of a massive, like, history of theatre. This has always happened. Like, people in... There's a clown called Joseph Grimaldi in, I think it was the 17th century. He was doing this stuff then. Like, he was on stage. Like, you read his stuff. He was on stage with the king watching him, coming on as an impression of the king, like, completely annihilating him, the king being laughed at, and the king loved it. He was doing it then. And, like, what? I don't know what the fuck TV's doing now. It's like, it's just become a distraction for people rather than actually, like, 
showing people like how ridiculous like everything I just find everything ridiculous I'm not particularly like a, you know weirdly enough I'm not even that particularly a political person like not I don't you know but I do just find like I know what's ridiculous and like I find most things are ridiculous you just look at what the Queen's speech involved like that's the thing that yeah, at the, the moment the goat skin the goat skin and when they come in and there's like the head black god basher and they have to knock on the door and he's just like I'm like what the fuck is that it's just like a weird theatre piece so yes of course we should take the piss out of people that we pay for out of our money and then use that money to do things that we don't believe in so yeah um, yes we're going to do that and like I think I don't know why you wouldn't do that I just don't understand why that wouldn't be a thing and I think musical theatre is the way in which to uh, to Uh, spike their pomposity um, well, yeah, musical theatre, the Miller, 60 people, obviously not made that much of a difference, but musical theatre on Channel 4 watched by, like, 5 million people, relentlessly putting out a different point of view rather than what the Daily Mail tries to characterise people as, that actually might make it a difference. So, yes, I do think, like, arts and theatre can change things. You just have to, I mean, look at the film I, Daniel Blake, unless, no, it's, yes. it's, it's not a comedy, right? But... Did that uh, definitely made a difference, yeah. right? If people do, who do see that, it's very hard to think something else. So, like, I mean, if you didn't think film or theatre or TV could make a difference, then it's very hard to like continue in it because it just becomes like a meaningless, like, you know, it's just like, well, why, why fucking bother? But, like, it's fun, but then just do it as a hobby. But like, why, why bother spending like hours in it? But I think you have to believe that it does make a difference. Um, and it does, like, like how people are shown or perceived does sway an election. And I think um, people have been. <laughs> I mean, it's just my personal belief. I think there is a strong like. It's not a belief. I mean, fuck's sake! Like the evening stand the day before the election is like vote conservative. That's from a newspaper. I was. I remember growing up. I was like, this used to be an impartial press. That used to be a thing. It just doesn't exist anymore. So. I'm like, it's kind of our responsibility to um, to do this. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, on a small scale, it's just a bit of a laugh. But satire is a thing that goes back for hundreds and hundreds of years. It goes back to like, in every culture has had it at some point. They have like, there's various cultures that have like, um, I want to call it upside down day, where there's one day where they're kind of, the freaks of society were allowed in to like mock the upper classes. Yeah. So in, and then Saturnalia. Is it Saturnalia when the servants become the masters? Yeah. Yeah. And in France, you have like Buffon came out of it. So the Buffons were like the people who were outcast from Parisian society for being like creeps or disfigured. But they had like a Buffon festival. They put on these plays where they hated the audience and they're like mocking them. And uh, like that, that's allowed. So I think there's like these things will never go. I think even if like certain theatre styles get killed off for years, they always come back. There's like an innate like human instinct to do it. So for me, it's like for me doing this stuff like anything satirical. It's a feeling of you're at high school and you're trapped in it. You can't get out of high school, and the teacher is being a dick, <laughs> and you you're like you're not getting away with that. And you draw like a doodle of them. You put on, you put in a subtle reference to them in the school play, 
but not so much that you're going to get expelled or a massive amount of trouble but like so it's sort of that that balance and what's interesting about the internet at the moment is you can put up whatever you want like no one's monitoring well <laughs> i don't know God, i sound like a fundamentalist now but like you know we can make like topical comedy or comedy that can be out to like hundreds of thousands of people now yes which usually that would have taken like loads of approval from like the bbc or channel 4 to do and the way technology is now you can just do that right now like so whatever thought you're having or whatever you want to make you can make it with enough hard work and you can get it out to people so that's that <laughs> brilliant okay so uh you've got a new evening called hoopla formations yep what's so that's, that about um so that what's that about that's starting up this week and then it's going to be a regular thing it's just because we were putting on more and more courses we found that people groups were forming from our courses which is great um but they were a bit short of performance space so we just wanted to make sure that we're supporting people who who've done our courses long term um rather than just saying goodbye at the end so basically it's just going to be a it's going to be a space for people who, groups who have formed from hoopla or people who've done a course with hoopla for their shows to, to go um and then longer term build up like a supportive like network and community so they can learn from each other um always have a place to perform um, in a supportive place. Lovely. So that's that. Fantastic. And you're also a member of Story Kitchen. Oh, I left actually. Oh, you've left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just, okay. No, I really liked it there, but I just got, it was just too much to do. I was uh, doing that and Hoopla. So I had to leave. Oh, right. Okay. But Fair they're enough. still at Hoopla. They're still performing. Right. Um, and I helped them out and I'm doing the promoting for it, but I'm not in it. Oh, okay. I just had to cut down Fair stuff. Enough. Yeah. Because I wanted to ask about the time when Joel played your wife. Oh, yeah, that was a nice scene. Do you want to explain what happened in that scene? Um, and how did George feel about it? Well, she did. Well, she thought he wasn't. She wasn't there. My wife, George, but he did do a really good job. So we got to, to us to do a scene like the most honest scene we could, or using real life as an example, some sort of challenge like that. And so we played the scene where I've come back from the show, and I come back home. And he's my wife, George, and I'm talking about the show I've just been in. Um, but then we spoke about it in immense honesty. And we'd say spoke about scenes that like weren't that good. And, he, and then there was this other scene that I thought was good, but the audience didn't. And I was like, I was like, oh, it's one of these scenes where I thought this action movie was a lot better than the audience let on. Um, and we got kind of low marks, so I felt a bit shitty. And, and then he's like, oh, that's OK, Steve, don't worry. And like he was really positive and supportive, like George's. <laughs> so everyone, everyone laughed about it. But yeah, he did a great job. He's got a great empathy, Jewel, and um, he got her very well. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice to know you've got a, a backup. <laughs> they got a backup. What a backup wife is Jewel? Just in case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, big final. Big final question. Yeah. Uh, big final question. Um, what would you say is Steve Rowe's signature move? Signature, signature move? In what stage? Yeah. I don't know. What would you do on stage and people go, classic Rowe? Oh, I don't know. I'm quite depressed about that. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I want to change all my signature moves because people keep saying stuff. They're like, oh, about this. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't do that anymore. Really? <laughs> like someone recently was like, oh, here's one of your characters. in the impression of this character. And I was like, Oh fuck! I didn't know I did that so much. So, I 
I'm going to be all politic- politician about it and not answer the question. I have to say, I don't, want, I don't want a signature move anymore. I'm going to about to change everything. I'm going to break everything and then rebuild it again. Okay. The next year, I'll, I'll have a signature move. And I, then did, I did once walk to the photocopier at work. Yeah. Having done a course with you, and I thought, oh, that was a bit of a Steve Rowe character walk that I did then. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, different. Um, different. <laughs> Different final big question then. Yeah. Um, what would people performing with you? Yeah. What could they do when on stage to delight you? I just like turn up on time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it, really. You know, if you got a head start, if everyone's there and they turn up on time, you, you've got it. Like Edgar. <laughs> so <laughs> like Edgar's not even able to defend himself. But two shows ago, Edgar didn't turn up on time and so when he did turn up I was absorbed into the admin of the night and I was talking to other groups and our show was not as great as I thought it could be and because he's my best mate I thought anyone else I wouldn't have done this because he's my best mate I emailed him and I just said I just said just go and be flat I'm like I can't do this I know you've got other stuff on but everyone has you have to turn up on time we agreed it and I was in a stressful situation and that, that's why the show wasn't good and then he's such a great guy he just sent me back and he's just said like one word he's like thanks I appreciate you being honest and the next time we both turned up on time and it was like I was in like such a much better mood and so was he so that's it really <laughs> right okay. I mean on stage do what the fuck you want I don't care just like <laughs> just gonna have fun with it but I think yeah that's the main thing <laughs> you get points for turning up but yeah. you get even more points for turning up on time yeah yeah turning up is like Turning up on time takes you to the professional level. <laughs> Turning up on time, even when you don't want to, that's like the like professional improviser. But yeah, but it helps. Because then, then you've got like a chance to kind of go through what you want, like check your bonded over what you're going to be doing on stage. But I mean, I would coach more groups. Sorry, this is another rant of mine. I don't know what the fuck that satirical rant was about. I know fuck all about politics as well, which came across in that rant. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going back to Sasa really quickly I'm not even that political I don't have any political motivation for this stuff I just I just know a bell end when I see one <laughs> and when I see one and they're in a position of power and authority I'm going to take the piss and they can take the piss back when I'm in power and authority it's fine um, anyway so yeah turning up in time so I would coach way more groups than I do so I don't coach any groups but I mean I think the improv team's got a massive problem with like commitment in rehearsals and turning up on time it's like when I'm coaching a team and they're like come coach us and it's happened recently I turn up I'm like right everyone's here they're like oh no Nigel's coming I made up the name (laughs) Nigel's coming half an hour and like so and so's halfway through and like I've got to leave half an hour I'm just like I'm not going to do this again I've got other stuff to do I've got my wife and like family like I'm not going to give up my time if the group's not even going to give me their time when I'm there it's just like it's just stupid and I think I don't know what's going on with improv groups I, don't, I think people need to learn from sports teams like if you don't if you're not at the rehearsal altogether it's not a rehearsal because all you're going to end up with is four people who now know the show better than one and actually it's, you might as well not done one and if you're not on time you're just um, there's no point doing anything so and like every improv group I know even professional ones struggle with that and it's just it's just like you know, it's got to be top of the list really and then weirdly enough, when I teach a course, everyone's sort of pretty much there and on time. But I think, yeah, groups would be a lot, the improv scene would improve massively, like 
10 times better if people were just just got the simplicity of turn up on time and turn up to every rehearsal um brief story for you because i know i've been babbling on so i met i was at a dinner once where i sat next to an olympic rower called steve called steve raybotham um it's a great rower's name but he won olympic gold at the london olympics in like the eights or, or whatever so obviously i asked him loads about like training and i said what's the what's your top tip for training and he that's what he said he said the top tip was like turn up on time and he said if you didn't turn up on time you were put in front of the whole team including coaches and physios you were told this is why we're not winning gold medal right now and you had to say why you were late and you had to say it in detail so they could uncover the reason for it and it was like everything stopped when that person walked in yeah and um He's like, that's top of the list. So that's that. And he said, once everyone's in the room together and they're on time, then you can have a team. But before that point, you've got nothing. <laughs> Saying that, I was five minutes late to meet Stuart. Because <laughs> 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 I got the, I got a wrong train. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Made this. That's improv! <laughs>